Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Claire Strunk and um, part of the steering team at Review and have gotten to be up here now two weeks in a row, last week and this week, both looking at the same parable. And um, I mentioned last week that I was fighting a cold. I thought for sure it would be over by now, but not so much. So <clears throat> hopefully I'll make it through without a huge coughing fit. Um, last week I started out by telling a story about when I was traveling with my mom at the age of five and getting lost in a mall. Well, I have another story about being lost also while traveling with my mom. Uh, but this time, I was 15 years old and my mom and I had decided to um, take a trip to Germany and Austria. <clears throat> and this was our both for both of us the first time we would be traveling to Europe. And um, as we were planning our trip, we were deciding all the cities we wanted to go to and making our plans for how we were going to get there. And I don't know, I guess just being Americans, we assumed that the best way to travel between these towns in Germany and Austria would be to rent a car. And when I say that now, it seems kind of absurd because public transportation is so good and so easy in Europe, but I don't know, I guess we didn't know that. And so we made plans to rent a car and that's how we got around the whole time we were there. Now, this was also before the widespread use of GPS and cell phones and smartphones and so all we had to guide us on our way were these paper maps from AAA, and let me tell you right now, they were not cutting it. Every single time we got into that car to go anywhere, we got lost. Well, <clears throat> towards the end of our time, we were going from one town in eastern Austria to another town in western Austria. We looked at the map, it looked very straightforward, you stay on the main road. So we got in the car and we started driving, and a couple hours later, all the cars started slowing down and stopping at these little booths. And I don't know, I guess we thought it was a toll booth or something. So we drove up and this um, tall man, kind of dark skin in uniform, asked to see our passports. And we're like, that's weird, but we give him our passports. He asked us a couple questions, gave us the passports back, we keep driving another hour or two, and <clears throat> all of a sudden we're like noticing these road signs, and it doesn't seem like the cities on them like sound very German. And so <laughs> we start like looking at the map, and we come to find out that we had accidentally driven to Italy instead. <laughs> um, now my mom is like, if you've met her, you know, she's kind and quiet and stoic even. Um, she never yells. But at that point, she absolutely lost it. I was like, kind of trying to seize the moment. I was like, we're in Italy. Let's take pictures. I've never been here before. And she's like, get back in the car. We are going back to the country we're supposed to be in. She was screaming. It was like the most mad I've ever seen her. Um, and alas, no pictures of my trip to Italy. Um, when I think back on that experience, it makes me realize that you have to recognize that you are lost before you can return to where you're supposed to be.
So as I mentioned, we're taking two weeks to look at the parable of the prodigal son. And um, last week we looked at the younger son. The younger son takes the inheritance from his father and squanders it on wild living. Then he has no money left and finds himself tending pigs, hungry, and in a really desperate place. And it's in that moment that he realizes how lost he is and he re returns to his father. And for sure, the central theme of this parable is that God rejoices when those who wander away return. And that's great news, because like the younger son, we've all wandered away, and we are all prone to wander. <clears throat> but regardless of how lost we were or what terrible things we did, God welcomes us back like the father in this parable with open arms and rejoices in our return. But if that were really the only message of this parable, if the only audience for who this was intended are those who live a crazy and wild life, then Jesus wouldn't have add, added this last section about the elder brother. But I must confess, as I said last week, this is my favorite text in all scripture, but this part about the older brother is hard. And if it were up to me, I think maybe I would have like edited it out if I were like one of the editors. Because personally, I like clean and happy and neat endings, and this certainly does not lend itself to that. <clears throat> I also want to skip this part about the older brother because if I'm honest with myself, I identify much more with the older brother than the younger brother. Um, first of all, I am the oldest in my family, and I do spend a lot of time trying to do the things I do well, and I try to be responsible, and I try to win the praise and affirmation of those who are important to me, my parents or supervisors, friends. I try to follow God's commands so that God too will be pleased. And like the older brother in this parable, I have a younger brother, and <clears throat> compared to me, he lives a very carefree life, and everyone loves him, <laughs> including me. Uh, he seems to do whatever he wants to do in the moment, and it works out for him. And um, on the one hand, I'm glad that he gets to experience success and the admiration of his peers. <laughs> and on the other hand, I can sometimes um, find moments where I am jealous that things seem to come so easily for him. Um, <clears throat> my guess is that many of us in this room, if you are here today on a holiday weekend, that you too have moments where you might identify with the older brother in this parable. This happens any time for me when I am critical of someone for not understanding or following or interpreting God's word in the same way that I do. That's a moment where I'm identifying with the older son. <clears throat> when I find myself feeling jealous or angry at God for giving someone else the blessing that I so desperately want, I'm out in the field having an older son moment. And that's why the older son's story is so important, particularly for us. And so today, we are going to take a look at his story. And I'm going to read just that section of the parable again for us. <clears throat> Sorry. 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. <clears throat> As we look at the older brother, we're going to be making three observations along the way. I remarked last week that this parable is the parable of the lost son, and although, as I said, it's primarily about the younger son, I think it actually could be called the parable of the lost sons, because as we look at the elder son, we see that even though he's never left the property of his father, he too is lost, but tragically, he does not know it. The older brother's wandering is more difficult to see than the other brother since he doesn't physically leave and he doesn't choose to outwardly live this crazy sinful life. But there are clues all over the text that tell us just how lost this older brother is. The first clue we see is that he sees himself as a servant. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He sees himself as a slave, which means he sees his father as a slave owner and a drill sergeant and someone who he should fear. We see the truth. When we read this parable, we see the father as a man who is kind and generous. But he doesn't see that in his father. It's like he doesn't even know who the true character of his father, even though they've been there together in this home the whole time. And there must be great grief for the older son of seeing this father and working for him and knowing that you're the son, but not feeling as if you receive the love and affirmation that sons should receive, and therefore not even feeling then like you are a son. We also know that the older brother is lost because he has totally lost perspective. He can't see a reason for joy when his brother returns. He sees his brother, in fact, not as a brother, but as a despicable sinner. The elder son thinks that the younger brother should continue to be dead to the family. And so he distances himself from the younger brother. I don't know if you caught it, but when the older son is talking to the father about the younger brother, what does he say? He says, your son. And actually, I do this sometimes, too. When one of my kids is being really terrible and not listening, I complain to my husband, Bill, by saying, your son or your daughter is making my life miserable. Because obviously, none of my genes would be contributing to that kind of behavior. 
Um, he has totally lost his perspective, and his resentment makes the Father's invitation to share in joy a cause for even greater anger and withdrawal. Finally, we know the older son is lost because his motivations are really misguided. His desire has been to do good. And this is actually where I have so much compassion for the older son, in spite of the fact that he throws a crazy pity party. He wants to be a good son. And that's part of the reason why he's so hard to reach and, and so lost, because his resentment and jealousy are so intimately um, combined with his desire to be a good son and to do good work on the, on, at their but in trying to do, be so good and do so much good, he's totally lost the ability to look at the big picture of participating in kind of the greater kingdom work of his father. He's chosen to strive for the father's love and to try to obtain that love through transactions instead of accepting the love that his father gives so freely. <clears throat> So we know the older son, though he's never left home, is lost. And in that way, he's kind of similar to his younger brothers, but their similarities don't actually end there. They also have in common the father's desire for their return. The father loves the older son as much as the younger son, and he wants the older son to return as much as he wants the younger son to return. The truth is that both sons need the forgiveness from their father. Both sons need to come home. Both sons need to experience that embrace of open arms. And the father offers all of this to both sons. <clears throat> In the time and culture of this parable, um, the older son's refusal to come in would have been kind of a great humiliation for the father because sons are supposed to do what their fathers say. And this is kind of ironic, right? Because part of the reason that the older son is so mad is because the younger son has been such an idiot and also caused the family great humiliation. <clears throat> and so the father could be really angry at the older, and rightfully so, at the older son's refusal to come in. But instead, the father reminds the older son that this is his home and that all the father has belongs to him. The father longs to drape his, drape his arms around the older son, just as he did with the younger. But the thing about this father is that he doesn't force his love on either son. I mentioned last week that the primary audience of people listening to this parable were sinners and tax collectors. But we also heard that there were Pharisees kind of standing by. And um, in this parable, the older son, as you might imagine, represents the Pharisees. And in the moment where Jesus is beginning to tell this parable, the Pharisees mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In the Gospels, Jesus has harsh words for the Pharisees. And you know, since Jesus is God and since God is love, I guess I would have to say that God loves and Jesus loves the Pharisees. But I would probably say it doesn't really seem, as I read the Gospels, like that Jesus likes them very much. But as I continue to look closely at the interaction between the older son and the father, I actually see just the opposite. 
The father really desperately loves the older son. The father wants him at the party. And this means that God longs for the return of the Pharisee just as much as God longs and rejoices at the return of the tax collector and the sinner. And that means that God longs for my return when I'm in the place of the older son and is ready to celebrate as much for my return as God is ready and excited to celebrate of anyone else's return. But that return requires joy in the party and taking joy when the lost are found and treating those younger brothers as family because that is what they are. <clears throat> well, we don't see many Pharisees returning in the Gospels. Um, that would have been really beautiful and helpful to me, but we don't actually see that much. Um, we don't see them go from scorning people who eat with sinners to actually being the people who eat and rejoice with the sinners. Um, we don't know what happens to the older brother in the story. We don't know if he goes into the party. We don't know if he actually gets to know his father and recognize that his character is kind and generous. Um, we don't know if any of the Pharisees change their understanding of God. Personally, my sense is that the call to return is harder for the older brother than the younger. I mean, yes, the younger brother had to like experience hitting rock bottom and come back and face a father after great transgressions. But the older brother, well, he can choose to live his whole life as bitter and angry and isolated from his family. There's nothing at least in this part of the parable that would force that kind of return. But I'm hopeful uh, that the other brother, that the older brother ends up choosing return. Um, partly because as I said, I identify so strongly with him that if his return is possible, then so is mine. Um, and I know that his return is possible because of the way his father interacts did you catch how the father addressed the older son? Even after his hate-filled speech, the father doesn't defend his actions, but he says to the son, my son. He maintains this invitation to their relationship and continuing to see the son as his son and calling him back. Even in the midst of all the anger and disappointment and confusion and self-righteousness that's like brimming out of this older son. The father calls to him and he says, my son, and similarly to us, he calls and says, you are my son and my daughter and all I have is yours. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, part of the reason this text is one of, is my favorite text, um, is because of the radical love of the father. It's just, every time I read it, it draws me in. Beckons my return, whether I feel like I've been in a season of kind of inwardly or outwardly wandering. Um, as I read this, I'm reminded again that I'm invited to return. It helps me grasp the love of God that sometimes feels too good to be true or too hard to touch. But actually... Even though the message of return is kind of the central message, and even though we are invited to identify with the older or the younger son, that that's part of the way we get it most um, primarily, 
The central figure here isn't actually the, the older son or the younger son. The central figure in this parable is actually the father. The sons aren't meant to be children forever. The point of returning isn't just to be a child in the father's household forever and ever. The point of returning is to take hold of their sonship and their roles as heirs of the father's kingdom. Soon both of these sons, if they haven't already, will likely take wives and have sons and daughters of their own. And ultimately they become the father and the patriarchs in their family. <clears throat> And this is what's so incredible to me about this parable. This isn't a story that ends with forgiveness and reconciliation, though that would be an incredible ending. But there's a call beyond that call to return, and the call is to become the father, to become the patriarchs and matriarchs that go out to, to the sons and daughters and extend our open arms to them. <clears throat> Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus is preaching to a large crowd of people, and he exhorts to them, be merciful as your father is merciful. And I would argue that this is perhaps one of the most radical teachings of Jesus, because it calls us to not just accept undeserved mercy, but to turn around and extend that mercy and compassion to the other people around us who also don't deserve it. And on the one hand, I get so excited about that because what an honor to be one of the people that gets to extend mercy and compassion to the people who, in our world, in our circles, in our families, in our neighborhoods who desperately need it. I can't imagine a more meaningful life. And on the other hand, I cringe at this exhortation because it just seems so contrary to everything in me that doesn't feel like it should actually be that easy or be that way. It's so counterintuitive to most of my thoughts and actions, and I fail at it constantly. <clears throat> but still, the call not only to return, but to take my place as heir in the kingdom is extended to us. Next week, we begin the season of Advent, and that's a time where we wait for the long-awaited Savior to come and save us. As we enter into that waiting, that anticipation of Christ's birth, we actually know what we are waiting for. Jesus is coming and, in fact, has come. And as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we allow God to continue the transformation within us that allows us to fully return to his <clears throat> we hear and believe that we are the beloved sons and daughters on whom his favor rests. And we are more and more able to join him in the great celebration. And as his heirs, we find ourselves with an ever-growing capacity to be merciful as our Father is merciful. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, on this uh, weekend where we are reminded more than ever to be people who give thanks in all circumstances. We thank you for um, this parable. We thank you for this um, ability to see exactly how radical your mercy and compassion is. We thank you for the story that reminds us that whether we are 
um, prone to wander in crazy ways or um, whether our wandering comes out in disappointment and anger that you long for our return and you invite us to return and you're as excited about our return as anyone's return so lord let us be people who return may we be people who accept your invitation who join you in the party and who are merciful